0: Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Uh, we will be uh continuing our journey through the Gospel of John. This morning, the tragic story of Judas and how he went into the night. So what it says in verse 18, starting with verse 18. I'll give you a few more minutes to turn there. I still here, page is turning. Jesus said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He." Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Well, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. would like to read to you a memo to Jesus of Nazareth from the Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. This is fictitious, okay? In case you didn't know that. But here's what it says. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your organization. All of them have now taken a series of tests and we have not only run the results through our computer, but we have also conducted, it, conducted an in-depth interview with each of them by our staff, psychologists, and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept, and we would highly recommend that you continue your search for persons with more experience, higher qualifications, and greater managerial abilities. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and is given to fits of temper. Andrew simply has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty and are quite boisterous. Thomas demonstrates a a questioning attitude that will tend to undermine morale among the ranks. It is also our duty to inform you that the Better Business Bureau of Greater Jerusalem has received reports on Matthew regarding questionable business practices. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and both demonstrate attitude problems which would present difficulty in their dealings with the public. However, One of your candidates shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets with people, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, responsible, and is not afraid to take initiative. We recommend Judas Iscariot as the most qualified of all of your prospective candidates. Sincerely, the Jerusalem Management Consulting Firm. Judas Seemed like a great guy. Judas had great qualities. Judas was a disciple. Judas was constantly uh, among the other disciples doing good things. He was in uh, among the discipleship, being discipled by Jesus Himself. And yet as we see in our text, He stepped into darkness. He stepped out into darkness and showed that he never was truly in Christ. He never was truly Christ's disciple. So I want us to look at this. There's four things I want us to notice. The first thing doesn't specifically deal with Judas, but it's more about what what Judas is rejecting. As disciples, we live on mission as we shine the light of Christ. Look at the promise that Jesus gives the disciples in verse 20. It says truly truly I say to you whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's let's slow this down a minute and see what what is Jesus saying here. He's saying whoever receives the one meaning the disciple the the person who's following me that is sent out receives me. If you if you receive if they receive you As the people I'm sending out, they're receiving Me. He says, whoever receives Me, receives the One who sent Me, which is His Father. Jesus here is promising the disciples an amazing union with Himself. The language used here is very similar to the previous chapter in verse 44 in in, in chapter 12. It says, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in Me, Believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And whoever sees, he sees Him who sent Me. Whoever sees Me, sees Him who sent Me. So there's a union that the Son has with the Father that if if you receive Him, you receive the Father. And so Jesus is going so far here in verse 20 to say we're invited into that unity. We have that kind of unity that we go out into a world and if people will receive us and people will receive what we have to say about Christ, then they receive Christ. Folks, when we are in Christ, we are brought into the unified vision of the Father and the Son to bring mankind to redemption. A call to salvation is a call to mission. You say that again listen to me a call to salvation is a call to mission this is what we are to do as people who are in Christ we we are those who 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 worship the one who was sent out and and the father who sent him out we we worship the missionary god and so we go out as missionary people as his disciples Jesus's assumption here is to his disciples is that you guys are going to go out. You're going to go out and you're going to share with other people what I've done. We are baptizing a couple this morning because one of our members thought to ask them, are you understanding the gospel? Do you understand what you're learning in class? Do you want to talk a little more about that? Just asking some questions. And we are all to be engaged in mission. God had invited these twelve disciples into the light of the Gospel and He was sending them out to shine that light into a dark world. But one, Judas Iscariot, he chose to go out into the night. So Let's look at the life of Judas and what it teaches us about darkness and light. We must be careful because often darkness can look a lot like light. We see in the life of Jesus that appearances of a person do not tell the whole spiritual condition of their lives, of their hearts, of their souls. You can appear to be a disciple of Christ without actually being a disciple of Christ. We, you can be called a disciple. Time and time again, Jesus is numbered among the twelve and, and people say there goes the disciples of Christ. And yet, one of them was not truly a disciple, though he was called one. And honestly, we don't know a lot about Judas. Most of what the Bible says about Judas kind of points us uh, to the fact that he's going to betray Christ. But there are some, some things that, that we can infer from, from Scripture. We can infer that he was trustworthy. Okay, You don't turn the purse strings over to, in an organization, to the most shady guy, right? You don't go, well, there's Bob over there, and man, he's, he's pretty shady. I don't know what Bob's about. Let's turn the company checkbook over to Bob. No, you're, you're going to uh, look for those people in your organization that, that have demonstrated that you, they can be trusted. They can take care of responsibility. And so Judas, as the treasurer of the disciples, was one who that became evident to everyone. This is a good guy. This is a trustworthy guy. Let's give him the checkbook. So we know that in appearance, he was trustworthy. We know that he appeared to care about the poor. Back in chapter 12, we see what is his... Complain about uh, about Mary uh, wash, uh, w- uh, washing Jesus's feet, anointing Jesus's feet with this expensive, expensive perfume. Hey, we could sell that and give it to the poor. Now we we know from that text that he was actually stealing money and he didn't really care about the poor, but he looked like he did. So much so that that in our text here, when he just kind of weirdly gets up from the table and heads out into the darkness the disciples assume either he's going to buy supplies so he's going to take care of us or he's going to take care of the poor he's going to give some money to some poor people they're, they're they they still they couldn't they could even in, when he did something weird it's like oh he's he cares about the poor he's going out to care about the poor. If we're going to maybe examine and try to try to see what what is maybe that sin that most entangled Judas, I think we would maybe lean towards I don't know absolutely certain, but we would probably say, I think it might have been greed. And we know he was he betrayed Christ for thirty pieces of silver. Uh, we know from the disciples' testimony later that he was Getting his hand in that bag and getting money for himself. So isn't it funny that the area in which Judas looked most godly, he looked most holy because he had been trusted with the money. Uh, people thought, "Hey, this guy cares about the poor." I mean, that, that that's what what he was known for. And yet, that thing, that holy aspect of his life that he was known for, was the very sin that he was most corrupt in and most entangled by. And it appears from Scripture that, that he never appeared to be an outsider. While he wasn't in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, it, it never appears that he was thought of as anything other than a, a, a legit disciple There are are many nods given to his betrayal, but they're all hindsight. They're all people that are writing uh, these testimonies of what happened after the fact, and so they make mention he's going to betray Jesus. But there's never any indication in the moment of his discipleship that that people thought he was anything less than any of the other disciples. And even when... Even when Judas, even when Jesus mentions that hey somebody's going to betray me, they don't go ah. I bet it's Judas. They never it never occurs to them. They did. They just think, who would possibly among this twelve do it? We're Jesus. We're all on board with you. We're all fully believing in you and trusting in you. And even when after Jesus says that Judas gets up and leaves, they still don't go. Well, that's scratching their heads going, that's weird. Is it Him? They never, ever suspect Him. He's not an outsider. Judas looked like a legit follower of Christ, but he wasn't. Would it be far-fetched to think that if a wolf existed in Christ 12, that wolves don't exist in our church and in all types of churches? Good godly churches around the world have people in them that they look the part, but they're not really believing and trusting in it and they're not really in Christ. Do you think that you think that Judas knew from the beginning that, that he was going to do all that he was going to betray Christ? I just we don't have again, we're speculating here. But I don't think Jesus went in there as a spy for the Pharisees. It just doesn't appear that that's what happened. It appears that, that Judas got involved and I think even he believed, man, I'm I'm in on this thing. But then after a while, his faith began to show some weakness. When I think of Judas, I think about the parable of the, the, the sower in Matthew 13, 22 and it says this, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I think Judas is one of those guys, man, at, at, at the beginning, he sprung up. He looked like a great disciple. But along the way, he, quit, he, he, he shows that he didn't ever truly believe The lesson of Judas is to be careful. Looking like a good person cannot save you. Not even being in the vicinity of Jesus can save you. Not even being called a disciple by others makes you one. Not even being discipled by Christ Himself can make you a disciple. If you walk away from Christ, you show yourself lost and in darkness, and not to be a disciple. The, word, the words of 1 Corinthians ten twelve apply here. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Be careful, folks. Be careful. Examine your heart. Don't just always look at your works. Don't always just look at what people say about you. Just ask about or ask examine yourself and your belief and your trust and your affection of Christ. That is his work is what saves us, not our work. And we also see here that that we should always push back at the darkness with the light. We see this in in Jesus' response to Judas's impending betrayal. We see here that Jesus was troubled. It's fascinating to think about. We know that Jesus knew this was coming. It was foretold before Jesus was even laid in the manger. This is why Jesus quotes in this text, Psalm 41 9, because it had predicted this betrayal. It says this in verse 18 I'm not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So if Jesus knew that Judas' betrayal was all according to plan, why does it trouble him? Because we're not just some game pieces on a board that a sovereign God just moves around and and we don't matter. Even though God is sovereign, our choices are real. They matter. Our rebellion cuts to the heart of God. Despite Jesus knowing that that this was going to happen, He was betrayed by a friend. By someone that, that He cared about. It happened. It's one thing when an Old Testament prophet writes that it's going to happen. It's a whole nother thing when you're standing there, or you're sitting at the table watching one of your friends who you love and who you have cared for turn their back on you and betray you. I've been shocked in recent years of pastors falling. And I'm not talking about crackpots who, who don't preach the Bible and with messed up theology. I'm talking about men that stand in the pulpit with boldness and proclaim the Gospel who, who, love, who seem to love holiness and then suddenly it's as if they immediately, out of nowhere, step out of the pulpit into darkness. And it's rattled me at, at times. It's sometimes it's people, it's pastors that I listen to and I, I benefit from their ministries. And it rocks my world. Do I believe that any of that those fallings caught God off guard? No. Do I believe that those failures of, of, of men, of pastors ultimately thwart the plan of God? Of course not. But do I think that God is emotionless in those moments? Do I? Of course not. I think He is troubled. He is troubled when people that seem to have been faithful fall. It's not out of His knowledge. It's not even out of His control. uh, Out of His sovereignty. But it is troubling. Let us seek to not trouble the heart of our holy God. Let's with Gospel-empowered living resist the darkness that calls to us. Let's love the God who loves us. We see that Jesus continued in graciousness. He continued in graciousness. So as Jesus makes mention of, of His betrayal, the disciples are taken back. So we were introduced here to the disciple who Jesus loved. And we're actually going to hear this phrase a few more times in John. Um, and most scholars believe that this is John. This is the writer of the gospel referencing himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So what does he mean by that? What is he is he bragging? Well, I'm, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He didn't love those other eleven fools. He loved me. No, he. What he's saying is, is it's, it's, a, it's, it's humility. It's saying, listen, all you need to know about me is that I was loved by Christ. It, it's a gracious, just being moved by the grace of Christ that my name doesn't even have to, need to be in here. All you need to know about me is that Christ loved me and that I was loved by Christ. But what happened here is um, Peter is wondering who the heck who is Jesus talking about here, and so he says, "Hey John," but apparently Peter was a little away from from Jesus. John, ask him about that. Who's he? Who's he talking about? And and Jesus, John was very close to him. In fact, leaning up to Christ, probably a conversation just between the two of them. He says, uh, "He asked him who it, who is it," and he says, "It is." He to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And it's, and then it says, when He had dipped the morsel, He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now this act of, of dipping a piece of food and giving it to someone is, is, a, is a huge thing of honor. Jesus is the host of this meal. This would be like a, maybe a, a, what we would think of a toast to someone. Uh, at, a, at, a, at a table, hey, I just want to recognize this person, or uh, maybe in our context, just that uh, carving up turkey. You know, like if you're the man, like if you're the man of the household, and you got the nice carving knife, and you're carving, it's you uh, giving people their their share of turkey in, in, in honor of having them in your house. This was a, a great display of honor. We see that this narrative in, in John 13 begins with. Having loved them, Jesus loves them to the end, and we see here that Jesus loves Judas to the end. It's as true even of the one who would betray him that he's loving him to the end. As much as of a certainty um, that it remained that that of what Judas was going to do, this is Jesus saying to Judas: "Are you sure? Are you sure?" He could have done some ugly act to set Judas off, but, but he chose to, to do an act of grace, of honor, to let him know, Judas, I have loved you and I still love you. So how does Judas respond to this act of love? By the light of the world, he runs deep, deep into the darkness. We see that Judas goes into the darkness. It says then that after, verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are are you, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought it was because Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. We see that when that morsel of food was, was taken, Satan entered him. Now, I'm not going to go into what I think that means. Uh, there's different scholars that think different things. Uh, that it was actual possession. Um, that uh, it was Judas just finally giving himself over. Like he was kind of thinking that he might do this. And this was that moment where All right, I'm totally going to do this. I'm going against Christ. This is, I'm sticking to the, the plan that I've set in motion. But I don't think we can say that Judas was just this man that was good and then suddenly possessed by Satan. Because even before this moment where it says that Satan entered him, Judas has already set this in motion, right? He's already talked to some people about betraying Christ. This plan is in motion. And so Judas is involved here. It's It's not just Satan possessing him. what's clear here is that that final act of love from, from Christ, Judas leaped into the darkness. Couldn't handle it. Um, in my counseling sometimes, when I'm counseling a couple, uh, especially one that one of, the, one of the couple is just resistant and just not treating their spouse very well at all. When I counsel the other spouse of what they should do, I said, you need to love them. You need to do Everything you can to be kind. Do the things that they love uh, to show love to them, despite their 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 meanness. And what the, now? We're not talking about abusive situations. We're talking about just when when someone's not treating someone well. I say you just go back to them and you you love them. And and the response I almost always get was like. Well, I'm I'm being a doormat. I, I go back and, and I'm I'm just nice to them for for the rest of our marriage. I just they're mean to me and I'm nice to them. And what I always tell the spouse, I said, no. I said, what's going to happen is when you are, are godly and loving and you act like Christ, something's going to happen. It's not going to be an indefinite them being mean to you either. It's going to break them and send them into darkness. They're going to go further away and they're going to like, I don't know what to deal with someone who is Christ-like and kind when I'm mean. And they'll go just, they'll show that, that, man, they're in no way godly and they don't know Christ. I said, or when the Spirit of God gets a hold of them through your kindness, that will bring them back to the light. So, there, so your kindness is not some passive force that oh they get a free ride and they get someone nice and then when they're being no it 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 always does something it either hardens their heart or it softens their heart but it it does something and we see that with Judas it did something in that moment of that final act of grace of Judas I, I honor you with this piece of food. Judas says, I'm done. And it sent him into the darkness. And Jesus tells him to, hey, what you're doing, do it quickly. It's time. And Jesus knows, like, it's time. It is, it's, we've, the hour has come, as John says. The, the hour has come and Jesus says, let's get this thing going. It's time. Judas, you, you got some things to do. According to the Scriptures, go do them. Don't, don't wait any longer. And that's what he does. And the thing I want us to notice is that John never wastes language talking about light and darkness and day and night. Whether it's this Gospel uh, or whether it's his epistles, he loves those images of light and darkness and he's not going to waste it. So when he says, he closes here, he immediately went out And it was night. Man, John is saying something there. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly that he is not just speaking of literal night, but a spiritual night of the soul of Judas. Judas, despite his good works as a disciple, despite being a disciple of Jesus, uh, being called a disciple of Jesus, he chooses to forsake the light of the world and to walk headlong into the darkness of the night. And notice again that none of the disciples suspect anything. They don't realize He's stepping out into a dark mission against the light. They assume He's doing something good. Oh, the deceptiveness of sin. Let us watch over one another. Let us care for one another. Let's examine one another and help one another to stay in the light and not to go out into the darkness. I think it would be appropriate here in closing to to go back to the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. And this is what it says. In verse 19, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that His works have been carried out in God. Folks, it wasn't a single act of betrayal that condemned Judas. I mean, think about it. Peter didn't earn an A+. Right? In, in his behavior after, after Christ's arrest, what did he do? Three times. I do not know that man. Calling down curses, I do not know that man. I mean, if that's betrayal, that's an act of betrayal. Is it not? What is it if it's not? It may not be going and turning Jesus over to the Pharisees, but it's certainly an act of betrayal of someone who should have known better. And yet, Peter finds redemption around that campfire after Christ's. Resurrection when He asked Him three times to feed His sheep. Now it's not a single act that condemned Judas. It was his continued and final rejection of the light. Folks, we must, folks, we must all examine ourselves and see that we walk and make sure that we walk in the light of Christ. The darkness is deceptive. deceptive. Sometimes it appears to look like light. We have to look beyond our works. Judas seemed a trustworthy, moral man, so much so that he got to oversee the money bag. But his heart did not believe in Christ. Let's make sure that we cling to Christ and that we know that He is ours and that we are His and that we hold on. We hold on with white-knuckled grip on Christ and even more, important we trust in his grip on us for the light, for the night is dark and it's deceptive let us walk in the light always and forever as our musicians come let's please stand and let me pray and you respond to God's word this morning Dear Heavenly Father, God, help us to walk and to live in the light. God, clear us of any deception that we have on others and even our own selves. God, any, any lack of clarity we have in our own spiritual condi- condition, God, clear that up. Help us to see, help us to truly examine who we are in You. God, help us to care for one another as a church, to to know one another, to make sure that none of us are stepping out into darkness, but that we all remain in the light of Christ. God, help us to cling to the light always and forever, because it is our only hope.